0: The world is a beautiful but challenging place to live. And let's face it, life hits hard sometimes. So if you find your hopes and dreams and mental well-being needs a boost, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Welcome to Inspire Us with your host, Jay paul Nadeau, a former hostage negotiator turned motivational speaker and acclaimed author of Take Control of Your Life. And now, here's your host, Jay paul Nadeau.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inspire Us. I have a warning for you today. This episode is going to be very graphic, and it deals with honor killings and so much more. So I warn you that if you are sensitive and you do not want to hear this kind of podcast, please do not proceed any further. I have many other podcasts that you will be interested in. But the topic that we're dealing with here today is one that needs to be discussed. We need to bring this to the attention of our leaders. No, wait a minute. They already know that there's a problem, but we need to force them to take action against human trafficking and honor killings. If we don't stand up and make our voices heard, they won't listen. So it's our responsibility as a community and as a whole to support one another and to say enough is enough There needs to be stronger consequences to anybody who does this. Imagine the injustices simply by being a male or female of a certain age, being trafficked, being killed because you are of a particular sex. My goodness, we need to take a stand together. It breaks my heart and it should be breaking yours as well. So I warn you, don't proceed any further if this content is going to be disturbing to you. But if you are going to proceed and listen, then do make a difference. I'm going to be leaving some links in the show notes. You can reach out to Nina and you can help her to get the message across. So without any further delay, it's my pleasure to introduce you to my friend Nina Alk who's an activist against honour killings and human trafficking. Here's Nina Ulk. Hello, Nina, and welcome to Inspire Us.
2: Hi, hi, Paul. <laughs> um,
1: where are you these days? Where are you located these days?
2: So I'm located in London in the United Kingdom. It's raining again.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're calling, I'm in Toronto, Canada, and they're calling for severe thunderstorms. And we've just got that warning. However, if I'm looking outside, I can barely see a little bit of light coming through. So maybe it's going to hold off for a little bit longer. So I hope it does.
2: <laughs> I, I want to. We have a thunderstorms that, the storms that you're, you're about to get.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is the calm before the storm, as they say, right, which life sometimes does that. It has a calm and then it has a storm and then we see some brightness after that as well. So this is isn't life weird sometimes. I want to start out by saying thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. When I heard you speak of your story, it really pulled at my heart because so many people are unaware of a lot of things that are happening across the globe. When I was in the Middle East in 2005 on a peacekeeping mission, I learned a lot about the culture and also about something very horrific, honor killings. Later, when I came back to Canada and I worked in the polygraph unit, I was also working with a member in threat assessment. And we became aware increasingly of uh, this honor killing topic because we were put on a on a case in which we had to determine whether or not there was a valid and actual threat. When I heard you speak of your story, It really, again, it tugged at my heart. Would you mind sharing with our audience your experience, your story? It is one that is worth and must be told because we've gotta put a stop to this kind of behavior. Nina?
2: Thank you so much, yeah. I used to always say before I spoke, wherever I spoke, I come with a warning and I apologize, but I stopped doing that. A friend of mine from Australia said that you should never apologize for your story regardless that it's um, quite traumatic. And I, I will say it's traumatic, but I'm born into an Asian culture whereby girls are not wanted. My parentage is Indian from the north of India. My father and mother had two sons before they had me. But when I was born, I was told that they didn't want me just because I was simply born a girl. And I wasn't looked after as a child. You know, At the age of six, I was given a blue crate, which I used to turn upside down and stand upon and cook for the whole family. I didn't know what I was doing, but I managed to learn and that was my life. I wasn't allowed to engage with any conversation. I kept my eyes down. I didn't ever look at any of my family members. And most of the time I sat leaning with my um, ear to the door so I could hear what was going on because that was my only interaction with the family. And when I got to puberty, my life started to change a little bit because my father was always very angry with me, I think because I had hit puberty and I started to develop as a young woman, but I didn't question anything. I was very obedient, very quiet. I've said in my TED talk that women in my culture and young girls, we live in fear. We wake up scared, we go to bed scared, we're scared we've done something wrong all the time. And that's almost the blood that runs through our veins is fear. And at 14, unfortunately for me, um, my father came back from a bar, very drunk with his friends, um, several friends, and they raped me continuously until I passed out. And I remember being woken up again while they started again My whole body had been beaten black and blue and I was left for dead really until I came about. I remember picking up the broken plates because my main concern was that I would be beaten again because I'd broken some plates, not what had actually happened to me. And then slowly the realization kicked in, but my father actually said to me then that he'd had to trade me to, he'd made an agreement with one of the men that had raped me because I ended up getting pregnant which led to an abortion and because of this he had to agree with one of the men that had raped me that I would be married into his family. Not to him but he had a son but the son was just a forefront, it was just a a fake wedding but my father had said to him he could have me for a servant and also for sexual purposes. And when I did get married and I went into the marital home, I was just turning 17. I um, was given a small room downstairs and this whole thing had been eating me up since 15. You know, I knew that I was going to get married. So for two whole years, I was living this horrific stomach ache, almost to describe it, knowing that I'd be in this situation. And then four years of him, being very abusive mentally, physically, and sexually, tying my ankles with coat hangers so that I wouldn't escape. The coat hangers used to be very sharp on the edges and they would dig into my ankles. So at work, people used to ask why there was blood. They would notice things, they would notice bruises. And they talked me into going back home, saying, come on, you know, your parents love you, they're your parents, not being really aware of the culture. And I believed that maybe at 21 they would look after me. So I left this shamble of an arranged marriage. And when I got home, I begged my brother and father just to allow me to stay there. And they started telling me that now I would never be able to go back, that they would not accept that I'd left, that I've done something horrendously bad upon the family. I'd brought shame. My father would never be able to go out in public because he would be looked upon as having a loose daughter, a daughter that doesn't know how to produce children because I hadn't had a child and I've been married for four years. So they were so angry with me. They literally dragged me from the front door and started to beat me. And I was a frail young woman because I have had a bad relationship with food and I was bouncing off the walls, Paul. I was literally, you know, my father's an ex-wrestler. My brother's six foot tall. My other brother wasn't in the house, luckily for me, I think, because he would have joined in. And they're all very, very big people. But they broke my arm, my jaw. And just recently, I had an right on my hand because I cut it with glass and they were looking for the glass. But they told me that sometime in the past, I must have held my hand up against a force and the bones in the back of my hand have actually broken and they're fused together. And I started to realize that despite the outer appearance of this pain, that that trauma still lives within me with my bones and my body, because there literally was not one inch of my skin left without a cut or a bruise. And when I eventually fell down, they just stamped upon me until my hip broke, but they were trying at that day to kill me. And my mother watched, and people say, what did she watch? Because she was scared, but she was angry herself because she believes in the culture and she was angry. And she was looking at me with a very annoyed expression. My sister-in-law stood and watched the whole beating and maybe couldn't do anything, I'm not sure. Maybe she agreed also, she was angry. But no one helped. I looked up at my mother just to, just before I passed out. I looked up at her and I always describe the blood because it's very uh, memorable that I felt very cold, as I say in my TED Talk with fear, but there was a trickle of warm blood literally going from my head all the way down to the tip of my nose and it was making um, a design in this harsh carpet upon which my head was being rubbed upon when they stamped my body would move and I passed out. Um, my other brother came along and when I was passed out, said not to kill me because they may get found and to send me to India, which is what happens to a lot of girls. They get taken to India, to Pakistan, to the Middle East, to Africa, to all of Asia, and then they disappear. Um, They either are given away if they're young or they are just killed. And to escape my honor killing, I knew that I was going to India, and I crawled out on hands and my feet and just made it close enough to a park and hid there in the bush, and I may have been visible or not, but I think people walked by and I probably looked quite frightful with my blood-stained body and my hair matted to me, so they didn't really offer me any help, but I waited until the morning and that's when I went to get some help.
1: Wow. I'm so sorry. What a story. Oh, my Lord. I can't imagine at the age of six, here you are, you become a servant to the family and you are not even able to look at your family in the eyes and they don't want you. And you are in this state of servitude until such time as you go into puberty, at which time you are then molested, raped by your father and by his friends. I can't imagine that kind of life for any person, for you, for any girl, for anyone. How are you able to be intact today with everything that you've gone through? How do you retain your sanity, Nina?
2: Yeah, I didn't actually know there was anything wrong when I was six years old cooking. You know, I thought for me that was being part of a family. Right. I didn't know any different. I didn't know that... It wasn't normal for a girl not to have bedding on her bed, for a girl not to have a wardrobe because my room was so bare. I respected my brothers because I knew that boys were special. So I looked at them in the way, the way that my parents spoke about them. And I've never hated anyone. I still don't have that hatred. I just, I just accepted that was who they were and that's all they knew understood when I was raped that it was very wrong something felt wrong and they say that our gut is you know always telling us good and bad and I felt very that something was just wrong with the whole situation but when you live in fear it takes away a lot of your senses and you don't actually question the obvious you don't question things that are obviously very bad for you you just accept them and I've from a young age learned to accept things and not hold them to my heart. The thing that really gets to me and upsets me is the fact that 30 years later my father has just come out of prison as I think you've heard me say mm. um, because he abducted my half-sister, my sister that he'd had out of his marriage. He'd had an affair and to hide his secret he took her away at the age of six and I've just found out he got the mother very drunk and then took the six-year-old away and he took her to lots of different countries before he got to India. The reason I know about this is the police came to look for me in 2015 because they said that he had abducted a child. Um, I didn't know who she was. I had no idea that she existed. All I knew is that he'd taken this young child because she was a girl and put her in a boarding school in India that my friends have told me is um, a forefront for human trafficking. The police said they were unable to access the um, boarding school that nobody's allowed to go into the school, which rings alarm bells straight away. And I suffered Quite honestly, I'll be honest with guilt because I never held my father accountable for something. And then many years later, we went and did it on a totally different level to such a young child who now would be 12. And even today, I was saying to an old friend of mine that I question sometimes if she's been raised, been allowed to live so that they can sell her body organs. And it sounds horrendous and people don't want to hear it, but she didn't want to be in that situation either. And a lot of the children that are trafficked don't want to be in that situation. So I found myself not only becoming an activist against honour killings, but also human trafficking, because I understood how intertwined they are and how In my life, I have a sister who has somewhere been lost in the system, nobody knows where she is. And I pray, as bad as this sounds, that she's not been trafficked and that she's no longer with us because knowing that she may still be put in a situation where girls are trafficked and they're sold time and time again, It breaks my heart Paul. I can't actually mentally deal with that because I didn't do anything and that guilt, that guilt gets me down.
1: I do understand that but um, with everything that you've been through, these were not normal circumstances, so I understand that I do. And so you shouldn't hold yourself in any negative light whatsoever. What you're doing now, you are making such a big difference. You have a TED talk where you speak outright about this and against this. You're absolutely right. The honor killings, the human trafficking, these are things that must come to an end. We have to keep putting the accountability on the people who are doing it and making them pay for this. What is it that we can do as a society to help to stop this horror? What can we do, Nina?
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people won't watch my TED talk because they said it's too traumatic. I think the opening line is, can you imagine? And people don't want to imagine it for themselves. You have to understand that I didn't ask for this life path that's been given to me although I wouldn't change it because I wouldn't be able to help other people my sister didn't ask for her life path and many girls that are trafficked and boys don't ask for the life paths that are given to them so we can't switch off as easily as somebody else can put my talk on pause or come off the page and do the little cross we can't do that so the biggest thing we can do and I would ask anybody watching to do it is to Give 10 minutes of your time to watch the speech and spread the awareness. If you don't watch it, if you don't spread awareness and you turn a blind eye to it, then you are, I'm not sorry to say, but you are part of the problem, not the solution. By keeping vigilant and just talking about things, the people that do these bad things, the perpetrators of honor killings, would think twice because more people are talking about it so they don't think they can get away with it. It's almost like an underground crime, as you you know yourself, Paul, where nobody is allowed to talk about it and I've become a target because I am talking about it. So I'm risking my life and I'm happy to do so because I believe so much in my message that I will continue to fight this battle, but it would be so much better if I wasn't alone of
1: course and i so agree with you what you have you have this moral courage that more of us need to stand up for the injustices that are happening around the world and to say enough is enough we will not let this happen and we will keep our governments accountable to the people to protect everyone equally because no child no human being no boy no girl no adult should be trafficked should be killed and it's just immoral and it's wrong i applaud you for your bravery you are a superwoman you are a superhuman being and for everyone who is listening to this podcast nina has a heart of gold and i hear her speak with such passion on this topic it is wrong we know it's morally wrong and we have to stand up to to help one another through this world and and to stop these injustices because It is wrong, period. Nina, I am going to recommend to everyone, and I brace you because I have watched it. It is a very emotional TED talk. And I implore you to watch it, to become aware, and to start the conversation against the injustices that so many people across the globe experience. Let's put a stop to this collectively. Let's start Mm -hmm. holding hands and let's start making a difference. Are you writing a book, Nina, to get this message across even further?
2: Yeah, I've started writing um, like an Anne Frank type of book. Um, I will write two books. I'll write a detailed one, like more like a novel, but I want to write one quicker (laughs) to get it out there because people are asking me, have you written a book? Um, Because they're interested. And... My idea is to write this book and to have it made into a documentary or film or a series. I think my life has got so many twists and turns, a series probably would suit it better. But the point of that is not ego. The point of that is for awareness because people will sit down and watch something that's traumatic because that's human nature. But what they will do without knowing is take away a huge message that I may not get through by writing a book or speaking on a podcast and that that's quite you know it's very big for me it's like the TED talk people won't always watch the TED talk I have written another book but that's more aimed at people who want to change their lives because I've changed my life I was as you know homeless six years ago and I've been through a lot so if I can do it because I believe in myself and I love myself then anybody can do it and I want I would like to help others
1: Nina the light bulb went on you might have seen my facial expressions kind of like light right up because I have been working against human trafficking recently with an organization and we're doing a lot of work in this area to bring this to the attention of the world there's a young man that I have come to know that I have worked with as well he does documentaries on this kind of thing and I would love to connect the two of you after this, I am going to reach out to him. Yeah. His documentaries are amazing. I have watched them. And I'm part of his room and his experiences. And we are going to fight this battle together. So I thank you, thank so, you much.
2: so much. Thank you. Oh,
1: yes, yeah, so I'm going to put you in touch. And, and
2: if, you know, my, my goal is if anybody's listening and they have a connection or contact, because at the end of the day, I need people to work with me, not against me. I'd love to get to the United Nations so that I can ask questions and and plead, I will plead for things to change. I'm trying to get into government so that I can say, look, this thing isn't happening in India or Pakistan. like You think I'm born and raised in the United Kingdom an hour away from London or two and it was happening there. Um, People don't expect it to happen around the corner, but it really really does, as you know, Paul, you know, you've seen it yourself. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, you uh, another light bulb just went on. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because I know someone in the United Nations who's a negotiator and negotiates weekly. Uh, Well, that's his full-time job. And he actually joins me in a negotiations room and he has connections. Well, he's part of the United Nations. I'm going to reach out to him as well. How can people reach you to support you?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I started an organisation that is just going through to become um, a charity. It's called EndHonourKillings.org. I have started that with my daughter because I had a daughter. So I broke that cycle of not celebrating a girl. And she is very passionate about um, Honour Killings because she's heard my story and naturally wants to continue this work with me. So you can contact me at EndHonourKillings.org or my name at the bottom here is Nina Olk dot com i'm on instagram on nina underscore the brit and i'm constantly on a clubhouse trying to get my message across
1: and you are doing you know you are doing a service for humanity and nina i so appreciate you i have two people i'm going to reach out to today one has already been on my podcast he has me uh, in a couple of his rooms coming up so i'm going to reach out to him that's a documentary gentleman. And Nicholas, who works with the United Nations, I'll be reaching out to him as well.
2: Thanks so, very much, Bill.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. And to everyone listening to this, this is something that, as Nina said, it requires all of us to participate in bringing the message against human trafficking, against honour killings. And if we don't, we're part of the problem. Our silence is deadly. And let's not let the silence mean the negativity and the death and the trafficking of human beings. Let's shout out, let's find that moral courage. Let's stand together, hold hands, and make sure that we bring this message to our governments and to the world that this must stop. Nina, thank thank you. you so much for your time.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another insightful episode. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave your comments. For more information, check out our website at www.inspireus.ca. Remember, it's not what happens to us that matters most. It's how we respond to what happens to us that does. Stay strong and resilient.